0: i guess rule number one in podcasting is don't uh don't start the live streaming until you're totally ready so you're totally ready and uh you know if you have a bunch of correspondences going on there then uh you know you should follow up with those before you hit the live stream button so anyway that was just my little flummox for the day but uh yeah you guys welcome to the show my name is scott i'm here with <laughs> i'm here uh for coming at you live from music city so there we go there we go so i got a fantastic episode for you guys tonight i'm very excited about this one it's a follow-up to a previous episode that we did uh with simon uh, producer of the film cut daughters of the west it's an Very important film that all of you should absolutely go see, and it kind of frames the conversation. If you haven't seen it, uh, definitely when you're done here, you should go check that out as well. Um, Before we get too far into it, I just want to show you how you can follow and support the show. So, head over to rebunk.news that's the landing page that gives you the links to everything related to the show. You'll see all the uh, uh, affiliate links at the top here. So, this is basically, um, you know, Richard Grove's Autonomy. Uh, That's a fantastic uh, entrepreneurial course, teaches you a bunch of life skills, unschooling, gets you prepared to get out there and crush in the real world. And of course, TRS Heavy Metal Detox at truthtrs.com. And the t-shirt shop, the t-shirt shop is on fire, you guys. Thank you so much for all of your support over there. As you can see, there's just all kinds of collections of shirts. You know, here's one, one of my favorites. I've been wearing this one a lot lately. Got any new conspiracy theories? All my old ones came true. There you go. Um, let's see. And then there's a whole bunch of other really good ones. Of course, the censorship kills the classic, the most popular of the Beavis. Are you threatening me shirt? Everyone should have that in their collection for sure. As you're going to festivals and all that stuff this summer, you can always like spark a good conversation. How about this? Fauci gave us all AIDS. He gave us all AIDS back in the eighties and the vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome that's been going around. Right. So he gave us AIDS twice. And if you want to really shout that out, you can get the Fauci gave us all AIDS shirt in fact, gave us all AIDS again shirt. I mean, how, you know, if you really want to spark a good conversation, there you go. So all kinds of good stuff um, brought to you by Big Frog T-shirts in Beaverton, Oregon. Compliance is violence, guys. Don't go along with what they say. Whatever they say, it's, it's you know, they're going to come at us with more silliness very soon. And we just we just don't comply. That's it. We don't have to fight them. We don't even have to protest them. We just do not comply. Simple as that. Um, back to the Rebunk.news page at the top, you're going to see the Substack link. And I want to encourage everybody to sign up just enter your email there. You'll be on the list. It's free. Um, and that basically just takes you over to the Substack page where we put out notifications about any anytime I'm about to go live. Um, you'll see the most recent episode there. Um, also, you know, anytime there's any updates with the show, this is the best way to stay in touch with the show. So I don't do a newsletter anymore. It's all through the Substack, And if you're signed up, that gets pushed right to your inbox. So you can stay up to date with the show that way there is the option to do like a $5 a month, uh, you know, value for value type of contribution there if you like. Um, As I go forward, probably going to be putting out some bonus episodes on there for subscribers and all that. So sign up if you want to help the show. Um, It does actually help quite a bit. Um, Then the social media, pretty much at Rebunked News everywhere. Um, The Telegram is the best place to stay up. You know, if you want to just hang out and chat, I'm usually in there all day chatting with the people. That's t.me forward slash Rebunked News. So that's pretty much what I got for the business, you guys. And so, yeah, like I said, once again, I'm very uh, excited to bring in uh, tonight's guest, the great Simon Esler. Simon, how you doing, man? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me again. So um yeah, I, I, I'm excited for this because the first time we connected, um I was just really impressed with everything that you got going on. And I feel like towards the end of the conversation, we really started getting into a lot of the things that you're actually working on in terms of solutions. and that's what really interests me. That's really what interests me. And so you know we we laid it out a lot of, uh, you know, the, the problem before. And so hopefully we can focus more on solutions, but I just want to congratulate you, man. Like, it sounds like, you know, there's a huge success with the film. Um, you know, I've, I've heard people talking about it. And so uh, I guess just real quick, for those that may not have caught us, caught you on the last appearance, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, about yourself and how this film cut Daughters of the West came to be.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I've been uh, in the sort of alternative truth or conspiracy space for quite a while now, you know, uh, probably about 15 years. Uh, And I've been in and out of many different fields of knowledge, you know, looking into occulted history and suppressed knowledge around UFOs and all sorts of different areas. I've dipped my toes in many of those uh, different waters. And, uh, you know, I spent some time working in the UFOlogy space and doing conferences there. And that was how I ended up getting uh, connected with Rise TV and so I have this big library of content over on Rise TV, where I've explored a lot of my research over the years. Um, so there's you know, tons of just legacy content over there that's focused on the metaphysics really underlying a lot of what's going on and the secret history of a lot of what's going on. Um, but uh, you know, I come from a background of uh, working in theater. And so I've been you know, trained in storytelling and you know, the, the creation of uh, stories, from scratch and the artistic processes that one uses to create a compelling story. And so coming from theater, you know, I really ended up transitioning quite naturally into filmmaking. And, uh, you know, this has become my full-time gig is really working on content. And uh, actually, I recently, uh, I'm happy to announce that I transitioned Daughters of the West so that people can go to daughters Westfilm.com and I have my own video on demand set up there now. And I'm gonna be building that out with all sorts of uh, content that I've created over the years. So one of the things that I did before Daughters of the West was my docu-series, Super Organism. And this is really how I got into the research of the family unit and found out about what gender ideology was doing to kids. So actually, I'm excited to announce that I will be um, offering superorganism for purchase on my website as well. And people will be able to get to that. Um, but that really, you know, the war on the family has been a big passion of mine. That's been probably one of the most inspiring things that I found in this research. And I'll say that even though I've gone down the path of researching aliens and suppressed technology and, you know, the fake history that were handed in schools, It has been uncovering the war on the family that has been the most inspiring and the most activating for me. And that's really a big part of why I made Superorganism and Daughters of the West and why I am working on a book that I'm going to be sharing with you guys today. So, you know, it's been a long journey getting here and I'm excited to be sort of expanding my platform and I guess I got a lot coming down the pipeline, I gotta say.
0: Man, that's so cool. And then it's so invigorating to know that you know someone else is out there who is following their passion and being able to do that full time, you know, leveraging that into an actual you know revenue source in a way that lets you do this full time. You know I think that's that's one of the things that uh, you know it, it's tough. I mean, it's tough being in the alternative media space and and to like you know put out content and to be able to do it full time. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, you have to branch out. From the actual content itself and find different creative ways to leverage that you know what I mean and to to uh yeah to draw people in and then to attract people that are willing to recognize that it's like a value for value system where it's like you know I'm putting out value if you have any value if you get value out of it you know you can return that value and so to, to be able to bridge that gap is a challenge but you know it's it's a blessing for sure you know I found uh you know for myself too like I'm, I'm in a space now where I'm actually starting to do that as well you know what I mean like it's it's not Directly from the show, but a lot of it is like the ancillary kind of, you know, peripheral projects that have been associated with it. And so it's like, you know, I'm I just congratulations on that, man. That's that's really really cool. And I do want to shout out to you guys. Like, you know, Simon's very active on social media. His Instagram account is a uh, just a wealth of information here. Um, and so it's uh, there, there's a link in the episode description, but it's Simon underscore Essler eleven eleven, and uh, just always putting out really high quality content. And uh, yeah, so just the, the fact that you're able to do that full time is really, really cool, man. So really, congratulations on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the pressure, the pressure of being broke and censored really will motivate you.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, broke and censored. Yeah, we, you know, we, we, we don't get it easy. You know, we don't get big sponsors, we don't get a uh, mainstream media coverage. And the mainstream media coverage we do get is, uh, you know, it's it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. So that's yeah. awesome, man. So, well,
1: you know, I had to get turned down, I'll say. I had to get turned down by a number of distributors for cut, so there's been some censorship there. I've been trying to get it distributed to other streaming platforms. Yeah. And of course, because of the nature of the content, I'm being told it's misinformation or we don't want to touch this. The best I got from one of the distributors was, "We will take this on tentatively, but if we get any pushback from our community mm-hmm. or anything in the contents, we're going to immediately take it down."
0: Wow. Well, people need to just like step up to the plate. Well, here's a question. So in our last episode, you know, we talked about like the sensationalized nature of the coverage around the the topic of like, you know, kids being t- targeted with transgender ideology and stuff like that. And it can be a little frustrating, you know, seeing that type of coverage. Um, and, and one of the, like the main, uh, Outlets that I would kind of point the finger at, and and of course, you know, I I'd say like Infowars does that a lot too. Like I was just at an Infowars event this this last weekend down in Austin. Like I have a lot of love for those guys. I'm friends with some of the producers there, but I like sometimes I'm like, yeah, like come on, guys. Like it's it's very like I don't like the sensationalized presentation of it, you know, just for clicks and to create fear and anger so they can get money. You know what I mean. Um, but like uh, but but like I will say, like Cut, the film Cut does a fantastic job of approaching it in a very pragmatic approach and just shows this is the reality of the situation. These are things you probably don't know about because these are the things that don't get covered in those types of outlets. But but anyway, then I point out like the Daily Wire too. So did you ever like pitch it to the Daily Wire? Do they have any interest in it? You know, I didn't. Uh,
1: yeah. I guess I still could. Maybe I should. Yeah. What What motivated the reason I ended up launching my own video on demand was because I was like, you know what? I really got to go down that avenue first, take full yeah. control of it, build my own yeah. platform, get it on there, and really get it so that I get the majority of the revenue stream. So yeah. up until now, I was using Vimeo.
0: Yep, um, yep, yep, yep.
1: Right, yep. Vimeo. You know, they take twenty percent. Mm-hmm from you and you got to wait two months for your payouts. Mm. Um, so it's really just, they don't treat their creators very well in my opinion. Yeah. So while I may still end up pitching it to places like the Daily Wire, I was like, you know what? I really want to take this, all this censorship and the refusals from the distributors and use it to motivate myself to really figure out what is the back end of a video on demand platform? How can I get this so that it's easy for me to run so that it's like, I can be directly connected to my audience. It took a couple of weeks. The past few weeks has really been a grind of errors, like a lot of payment errors, a lot of like people trying to use my video on demand platform and getting a payment error me emailing them and getting it corrected. Yeah. But it seems to finally be working now. Um, and so I think what I'm going to get this momentum with my own video on demand, build that out. And then I'm in a position to, you know, to sell it to these streaming platforms as non-exclusive, you know, because yeah. I want to maintain the rights to it and really go down that route. So that is my long-term game plan is to, to first have everything run through my video on demand and then start pitching it to the platforms after that.
0: And that's just the, the only way to do it, man. You can, you can only create or you only control what you create. And yes. so we have to build out our own infrastructure. You know, I'm still relying on a lot of like third-party platforms for sure. I would love to get to the point where, you know, I have full control over, you know, all the platforms that it gets put out on or, you know, bring it down to, or, you know, my long-term vision would be like creating like a network or something like that, like a, like something yeah. that would rival the Daily Wire. Like I, that's just something I'm trying to manifest someday down the road, maybe like 10, 20 years from now. You know what I mean? But yeah. like Never know. being able to control our own content is absolutely crucial as this thing continues to escalate. So
1: it's all about yeah. this decentralization, you know, yeah. this massive form of decentralization that's ongoing. And we're, we're a part of that. And I think, you know, when, when we look at things like the collapse of Hollywood, uh, there is going to be a vacuum. Um, for people to step into and even just for you know documentary filmmakers and people who are really ready to step into those shoes we saw this with sound of freedom that the vacuum uh, of hollywood uh, is allowing things that are relatively alternative to start to step into the spaces and fill actual seats in theaters Mm -hmm. um i think that's just going to continue to happen and so as As people like us are building our infrastructure and really solidifying ourselves, I think there's going to be way more work because there's going to be thirsty audiences for truths that they're just waking up to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So uh, before we get too far into it here, I do have the trailer queued up here. So I'd kind of like to play that and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, what, what it's been like since we last chatted. So we chatted right before the film came out. And I'd like to hear kind of what you've been experiencing after the film came out. So let's watch the trailer again. If you guys want to catch it now streaming, it's at daughtersofthewestfilm.com. There's the link in the description, but let's watch this and we'll be right back.
1: In August of 2022, obstetrics and gynecology reported on the latest demographic characteristics of patients undergoing labioplasty. The latest rate in school shopping includes new body parts. The highest rate of cases was observed among adolescent and young women in the United States.
0: I have to do something crazy that will make me feel happy. Make
1: me feel happy. So what this graph shows is they deliberately harmed themselves to the part that they had to be hospitalized. So the rate for 15 to 19-year-old girls is up 62% since 2009. Now the youngest girls, these are 10 to 14 year old girls. It's up 189 percent. It has nearly tripled in the last five or six years. What's the cause? Confusing them. I mean, Confusing them to the level that they would go to the extreme to butcher their own bodies. Self-harm, Self-harm has, always has always been, been more of a, a girl thing girl than a boy, a boy thing. thing. It's the leading candidate and the timing, look at that timing, is social media. These are 10 to 14 year old girls. These are preteens. They used to have very low rates.
0: Starting around the age of 12, I began to believe that I was transgender.
1: It's like a virus, virus came out mm-hmm. of nowhere. Between 2016 and 2017, the number of gender surgeries for natal females in the United States quadrupled.
0: I thought it was about tolerance. I really, I
1: thought, I thought these rainbows were nice. <laughs> I didn't think they were so bad. I didn't see the dark side of it. In 2018, the UK reported a 4,400% rise in teenage girls seeking gender treatments. They didn't use to cut themselves. It's the sweeping nature of transgender ideology that is overtaking our
0: entire society.
1: Using their their fight or flight are being hijacked. Everyone has transphobia. They're being told every day that they're going to die unless something happens. Would you
0: rather have a dead daughter or a live son? Do you want a dead daughter or a living son?
1: No one explored why I did not want to be a girl. Who here really believes that as a 15-year-old? I should have had my healthy breast removed or that should have been an option. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have kids. There are interest groups that benefit from taking advantage of individuals' fight-or-flight mechanisms on a daily basis. They didn't used to cut themselves. And you can't go back. I'm ruined.
0: I have to do something crazy that would make me feel happy. there you go all right yeah it's powerful stuff and then just you know as a fellow video editor i think i told you this last time but like man like you're like next level skills like i need to up my game quite a bit if i want to <laughs> but yeah no it's, it's awesome man like you did such a great job with the film the presentation the story is very harrowing and then the accounts and the testimonials it's it's just gut-wrenching you know what i mean and then it goes along the lines of what you know primarily what I cover on the show or like the articles I write, it has to do with like, you know, the, the vaccines, right. About the, about all the stuff around COVID that they didn't give us all the information on. Right. And so the idea of informed consent, like, like, you know, if the establishment and these regulatory agencies that are entrusted with providing that informed consent are failing, and in fact, censoring people who are providing that informed consent, then it's up to us to do it. And so we're being in a position where, you know it's like i feel like it's my life mission to provide the informed consent that these agencies don't do and so this film really dives deep into helping people see the full picture of the information that they're not being given and you hear like all these testimonials of the de- the people that have detrans that are working on detransitioning you know they're like i didn't know about any of this i wasn't told any of this information i was told my life was going to be perfect and everything was going to be ra- rainbows and unicorns and everything was going to be perfect and i was going to be happy and then they reach a point where they realize that is far from the truth and so all these other complications and things that arise. And so, you know, this film does a great job of providing that informed consent. So,
1: yeah. You
0: know, actually
1: since releasing the film, I have found so much more research on labiaplasties hmm. proving what's in the film even more that uh, the labiaplasties, you know, these cosmetic genital surgeries that girls and women are being subjected to. This is also a bizarre medical experiment. Um, what I'm finding out is that the surgeons who are performing the labiaplasties, none of them are actually informed on any proper procedure on how to do this safely because they don't have medical textbooks that even have the nerve endings of the clitoris in them. So they're not even informed on female anatomy properly. And so what's happening is girls and women are getting these labiaplasties being told, oh, you have what's called labia menorah hypertrophy. You have oversized labia. We need to cut these, but also we're going to make it look better, make it look prettier for you. And they're damaging the nerve endings in these girls' genitals. And it's like some of these women who are speaking out now are saying they're struggling to have orgasms because of these. Now, it is so reminiscent of what's going on in the trans craze. But again, this is why I made the film. This is doctors performing experimental procedures on girls and women, permanently damaging them and making a ton of money off of it. And it's just so important that people understand this. So, you know, I've been following the work of Jessica Pinn. She's been mm-hmm. a huge advocate for this because she was medically damaged by a labioplasty at, I think, I believe she was 15. She's been fighting to get proper female anatomy into the textbooks, which okay. is not even there, which is crazy to think. But the truth seems to be that uh, they don't have the anatomy of the clitoris and so many parts of the woman's body actually being taught in the medical schools, which means anyone performing these procedures, these labiaplasties, is, is openly going to do damage. Yeah, I really am. That I, I, that that's her. That's her. And I encourage people to follow her. And what's really cool is that I set out to make cut to create a bridge between the left and the right wing of politics to, to help yeah. people understand it's not political. Jessica's very much left wing very very like you know she's quite far on the left very much been supported by left-wing mainstream media um so it's been cool to find her work and to really have it as proof of concept for the film and so she i think she actually recently got into princeton Mm -hmm. um to continue her work in getting the textbooks updated so you know i've just found so much more research since releasing the film that has really proven the point and driven it all deeper deeper um and i think You know, it just needs to be talked about more and more. And I'm glad that I've continued to get sales of the film and that, you know, I'm continuing to get it out there. Uh, One of the things I'm really trying to do now is to get people to organize screenings in their communities. Mm. Um, You know, I think that's something I'd really like to increase because those in-person events, there's nothing
0: like it. There's just nothing like it. Yeah. Well, shoot. Yeah. I might have to think of something like that here in Nashville for sure. Like um, I know a couple other folks who have been talking about doing some sort of screening, So that sounds like a win-win situation there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> actually I have some that. people in Nashville that are already interested. So
1: let okay. me know, we'll chat.
0: yeah, let's chat afterwards about that. Cause I definitely like to be involved with that. Um, so you had a screening, I remember you saying in New Jersey and yes. somebody, what happened with that?
1: Okay. So I'm still trying to figure out what's going on here. Uh, essentially, I had a pastor lined up, um, Pastor Greg, I think his name is Quinlan. So, you know, his story is that he was living a homosexual lifestyle and that he changed and he ended up, you know, building a life path with just a traditional family and having children. And one of the things he's really trying to get people to understand is all the stuff that's out there saying that if you're, you know, you're born homosexual, And you will die homosexual. It's in your genetics. It's in your body. Something you can do about it. And he's out there saying, that's really not true. Some people, it it changes, Mm -hmm. you know, and this narrative is not correct. And it's actually kind of dangerous to hand people that narrative. And he's a living example of this. So he had a big following in Bridgewater, New Jersey. He, through the person who um, applied to host the screening that I had been working with, she had directly spoken to him. He was interested. He had confirmed he was coming. And something happened. With the event organizer at the venue, they, I don't know what this agenda is. I don't know if it's a woke agenda or just a personal agenda. I didn't really want to dig into it because I didn't feel like getting in a battle with these people, but essentially this person sabotaged the event, went behind our backs and canceled the pastor as a speaker at the event, which essentially like nuked our ability to fill the house enough to make it worth it for me to fly out there. Wow. because you know i'm not personally someone with a following in new jersey yeah. it was really about having a local person join up with the event and help us co-create it so once uh, he got sort of secretly removed from the event uh we just realized we're gonna have to move it to the fall so we're in negotiations to do it in the fall and actually to do it bigger we're going to try and do two new jersey screenings um back to back uh one day after the other and so i'm trying to organize something that's just going to hit harder Um, you know, anyways, but that, that's sort of the weird backstory on this, where there was some kind of sabotage that unfortunately we had to, we had to shift the whole plan.
0: Wow. That's intense. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising though, you know, that just whatever backroom deals are being made to sabotage anything along these, this nature of what we're talking about is, uh, you know, that's just status quo these days. It's crazy. So yeah, just keep pushing, keep pushing through. That's right. I think, I think people are ready for this message and it really shouldn't be a partisan thing at all you know what i nope. mean like i have yet you know i have like gay followers gay listeners you know friends and i've yet to come across something that's like yeah kids should definitely be like transitioned as early as possible they're all like yeah. no bro that's shit's insane you know what i yeah. mean it's a radical, so, minority. It yeah, is a radical yeah, minority yeah radical minority yeah but the fact that it gets amplified to the extent that it does yes it's so crazy like i was even, like i always say this on the show like the only time my eyes ever glance like mainstream media is like if i'm at the gym and like I just, the horror of it every time it's like, they have the TVs going and the CNN and all this stuff. And I'm just like, Oh God. And so I, 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 you know, kind of morbidly look every now and then, but it's like, yeah, last night I was there and headlines were like, I can't remember what it was like North Carolina, South Carolina, something like that Passed three laws, like completely, uh, diminishing the rights of trans kids. I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, that's just like the, the way that they frame it. It's like, come on. Like, who are you virtue signaling to You're virtue signaling to like this, like, point zero zero one percent of like the world like what is that it doesn't make any any sense at all have you gained okay. any insight into that like yes what that is
1: okay let's hear absolutely. it absolutely actually so this is a good sort of segue for me i recently started from scratch a new show called situational awareness mm. but i started it on a brand new rumble channel so uh yeah give me a follow find situational awareness on my rumble channel there um because it's uh It's a fun project for me, but, you know, I was sick of YouTube. You know, I have a couple thousand followers on YouTube, but I was just tired of YouTube's nonsense and their censorship flagging everything I do. So I decided to just go from from scratch and start there. I actually speak to what you're talking about on the show in two different episodes that are out right now. And what we're really dealing with is two different kinds of modern warfare. We're dealing with asymmetrical warfare and narrative warfare. Mm. So asymmetrical warfare, um, essentially war evolved so that you could have asymmetrical warfare in the sense that you can have a small group that is able to make an impact or even defeat a large group or a large power. So it's no longer that war is about uh, sort of armies of equal kind, equal size, equal, equal strength. It's different now in that technology has advanced things. You know, Cyber warfare has changed the nature of war extensively. Uh, the ability to use social media to create viral uh, campaigns, to create fake viral campaigns that look grassroots. So astroturfing, right? When you really make something look like it's grassroots, but it's actually well-funded by a large entity. Um, This asymmetrical warfare is a big part of what we're experiencing because you have this radical minority, right? So with the, the trans issue, you have a radical minority who is fighting for this, And then what happens is you have the mainstream media apparatus, and they're able to take that radical minority and amplify their voice and use narrative warfare to essentially launch narratives that give the feeling and the experience that there is a large portion of the population fighting for this. Um, And so this is the way in which asymmetrical warfare and narrative warfare are actually combined. This is one of the things I talked about in my most recent episode of situational awareness, because that's actually a big part of how Justin Trudeau is in power today in Canada, Um, because in 2019, Justin Trudeau's victory um, was only 33% of the vote. Mm -hmm. Okay, Because of the nature of the very broken Canadian electoral system, Justin Trudeau has the smallest minority government in Canadian history. So he has this little 30% of the population that has put him in power, but he has a monopoly over the media system here. So CTV news, global news, CBC, they are all beholden to Trudeau's little liberal government. And in fact, CBC gets roughly 70% of its funding from Trudeau's government. So they are extremely beholden to him. He has openly joked about this in the past. Um, So what happens is, He has his little radical minority that put him in power. And then anytime there is any opposition, Trudeau is then able to use his media apparatus to not only assassinate the character of his opposition, but also to make his opposition seem genuinely dangerous to his radical minority. And so he'll frame his opposition as hateful, right? he will go and say, for example, that all the Muslim parents in Canada that have been speaking out against gender ideology in schools, he'll go and say they are being brainwashed by right-wing American politics. They're being brainwashed by right-wing extremism. There's a dangerous force in Canada. It's right-wing extremism. It's the push from Trump supporters um, that's warping their minds and misinforming and disinforming them. And so he creates a sense of danger that there is this dangerous right-wing extremist faction in Canada That's literally attacking the minds of Muslim parents. So what happens is his little 30% radical minority who are tuned into the CBC and all these other outlets, they get this feeling that there is danger and that they need to speak out against this dangerous right-wing extremism. And then the media apparatus amplifies their voice and makes it seem like there's a large portion of Canada speaking out against right-wing extremism. So that's basically a map of his operation and how he Mm -hmm. uses narrative warfare and asymmetrical warfare, where he just needs a small fraction of the population. First of all, to get power because our electoral system is broken, uh, but second of all, to be able to create these different narratives that serve his purposes.
0: Wow, that's that's a really great analysis. I mean, I I heard about that whole situation where, like, you know, the people in Canada aren't even allowed to get certain types of media now. All of a sudden, yeah, there was a
1: bill that was passed uh, essentially it's a very sneaky way to insert a form of communism in. Mm -hmm. It's very, I have to say it's very sophisticated. Uh, I have to admit it's very sophisticated warfare. Basically they passed a bill and it's under the guise of protecting Canadian content.
0: Mm. So this
1: is the narrative they sort of put in front of it. They said, we want to protect uh, Canadian content and Canadian news uh, outlets and make sure that Canadian news is not being saturated by, you know, American news and people that, Uh, are coming from outside influences. Of course, that fits with their their ongoing narrative, right? That it's American right-wing politics is influencing Canada. So they passed this bill to state that if Facebook and Google and the likes of, you know, these big tech companies want to use Canadian news outlets on their platform, and by use, they just mean have shared by people, Canadian news outlets on their platform They personally, their companies have to pay Canadian news outlets for access to their content. Of course, Facebook and Google have said, no, we're not going to suddenly start paying Canadian news outlets. We're amplifying them. You have it backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, But because Facebook and Google have refused to pay Trudeau's fees, essentially now they are in a position where they have to uh, remove all Canadian news outlets from their platforms and so if you're a Canadian on Facebook or Instagram uh, or Google, you are essentially going to struggle to be able to find any uh, news outlets uh, from Canada on those platforms. You're actually going to be blocked from it. Uh, it's, it's quite incredible. So it's creating, you know, kind of like great firewall system here like China has. Mm-hmm. They're making it so that the internet in Canada is controlled by the government but it's all under the guise of protecting Canadian content.
0: Yeah, exactly. When We always see this as just like the oldest trick in the book, right? Like with the Patriot Act, like this is to protect you guys from the, we're going to take all your rights in order to protect you from the terrorists, right? Or any of these conversations about uh, having like internet ID to like protect children, right? Stuff like that, where it's like, you know, so it's all framed under the guise of, it's it's completely inverted. It's framed under the idea of like, hey, we're doing this to protect you, but you know, that's going to mean that you have to give up all your rights and freedoms in order to get there. And it's just really, really shocking, man. Yeah, crazy. That's, that's crazy. I it's hope you crazy. guys are able to push back on that somehow. Yeah. Like VPNs, like the, can you get through like a VPN or they outline VPNs too? Or? There's
1: the VPN thing. And there's also just what it's done is it's caused people to just download news apps, right? Okay. And you just, you get the news apps so that you get the notification straight from the news app itself. Mm. Um, it makes the sharing of it a little more difficult for sure. Um, I don't know. I think we're gonna have to see how this plays out. Yeah. I think Trudeau might have overstepped because yeah. you know, he's up against big tech, who is also very corrupt and crazy. Yeah. Um, but again, he does these crazy radical things that seem nuts. And, and you see how this makes him look terrible on the world yeah. stage. Exactly. But this all goes back to that asymmetrical warfare and narrative warfare. He does not care how he looks on the world stage. He does not care that 12 million Canadians voted against him in the last election and only 5.9 voted him in. Um, He does not care that he's upsetting or triggering or offending or doing anything to upset these people because all he needs is that radical minority. That's Mm -hmm. all he needs. So his goal is to just keep them in their little narrative streams, keep them radicalized, keep them triggered, you know, keep their nervous systems in a state of fight or flight That, you know, we're in danger, right-wing extremism, transphobia, anti-LGBTQ hate, all of that. If he can keep that, then in his eyes, in my opinion, he can keep his operations running. So he's willing to do these very radical, seemingly crazy things, because that's all he's got, is this one radicalized base. So we'll see what happens in the next election. The question is, how fractured will the Canadian vote be leading into that election? Because our system is really quite designed to fracture the vote and to really disempower Canadians in my opinion
0: wow that's interesting and it really is true I mean we're seeing the same thing here in the United States they're so blatant and flagrant with a lot of their just like corruption and tactics that are you know like here in the United States like I'm not like a big Trump guy but like the idea of you know them using the the judicial system against him and trying to like eliminate him as a candidate you know that's just like blatant on its face you know I mean there's a lot of these things that like it just indicates that they don't care They don't care what the way they're perceived. They don't care the the way that the world looks at them. They're just going to steamroll right through anyway, which is very alarming for sure. But it also is a sign of desperation because I think in the overall narrative war, we're winning, man. Like, I think we're really, we're really winning. And so as they get back further into a corner, it's going to become a lot more crazy just around COVID and the vaccines in particular, just this last year. Like it's just been like bombshell after bombshell coming out. Like I just heard that they just, the FDA acknowledged that ivermectin can be used to treat COVID. It's yes. like, oh, really? Oh, really? Okay. So, you yep. know, yeah. And so so it's just, it's just the, the dominoes are falling one after another. And uh, you know, I don't know how long they can sustain it without completely going off the handle. So we'll just have to stay tuned to that. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about like
1: talking about things mo- modern warfare and things like asymmetrical warfare and narrative warfare. It's why I like educating people about this because the end realization the sort of the affirmation, the confirmation is that we are the majority and we are winning. And this is one of the most dangerous things for them, because I believe there's still a lot of people out there who are aligned with us and, Mm -hmm. and this fight, but who still believe that they might be a minority or that there might be a large group that they're up against. I think there's a significant portion of the Canadian and American populations that need to really let it land. You're the majority. And the media is amplifying a very small, crazy group, because when that really lands, it's very empowering, mm-hmm. right? It creates a lot of, I think, morale, and we need those morale boosts. So I think the more of the population that realizes, wait a minute, this is just a little radical, tiny group with a really big megaphone, let's steamroll this, yeah, you know. And yeah. we need that. We need that realization to grow. So I, you know, I th- I'm sure that's one of the things that they're
0: really afraid of. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, you're doing great work in that field for sure. Um, I'm just curious. So overall, what, how how has the the reception been? Like, what has the feedback been after the film's release? And then, what what have you experienced like after that in general?
1: It's been really great. I mean, people have been very moved on a number of levels. Like a lot of the feedback I get is uh, is on the artistry of the film and yeah. on taking a topic like this and really like surrounding it with artistry and using that left brain right brain balance. And it's been really great. Like, you know, I had really a really interesting email sent to me. Someone said that they felt like they were in an art house cinema, mm. but watching something that is about this, you know, very current topic. And, uh, you know, i love that idea, this idea of, of being able to make something that is very artistically rich. And that isn't just that dry, you know, I sat down with 20 experts and here's all of them talking for an hour. Um, not that that's wrong. It's one form of proper documentary work and it's very important work, but it's just not authentic to me. It's been great to have that feedback because to be honest, that I wasn't thinking about that in, that, in the sense of like, I wanna make an artsy film. I was creating in the way that is authentic to me that I have always created. I've always really been into rich sort of visual depictions of, of, of complex ideas. Um, So it was really satisfying for me as an artist to just authentically go through this process of discovering this research and artistically expressing my understanding of it and then putting this out there and then having people point that out to me and be being like, Oh yeah, that really is my film style. Mm -hmm. you know, it it crystallized that for me. So that feedback has been really immensely helpful. And um, it's been great to see the film just sort of, despite the censorship that I've experienced in distributing it, carry its own weight and continue to spread and continue to have people sharing it. And, you know, I had someone the other day, uh, you know, pretty left wing thought leader uh, who runs uh, an organization that that helps with child trafficking. Um, This person's relatively left wing in that this is like a pronouns in bio person. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was just going through people who had recently purchased my film and found the email and website and I was like, oh, this is great it's really reaching people on both sides. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel happy with it, but I still feel very uh, amped about continuing to build it up and spread it and get it to more people. I think there's just a lot more people that I could get it to and get those screenings out there. Um, And I think getting it onto my own platform is a big, it's a big move in that direction because it gives me a lot more mobility in terms of, um, you know, packaging it with other things. You know, I've got this book that I'm working on coming out. I'm going to be able to package the film with my docu series Organism. so there'll be an opportunity for people to see that six part documentary about the war on the family, and then follow that with the you know, cut, and to be able to see the scope of the work that I've been doing over the years and connect all the themes that I've been working with. So, you know, I'm I'm really pleased. Like, despite some of the struggle that I've had, that is not surprising. I'm genuinely, you know, very very pleased at the impact this film has had, and I'm very excited. Uh, to know that there's there's lots more impact it can have and that it will have
0: that's awesome and so for you guys i need to add this to the episode description but uh so we have cu- uh daughters of the west but also simonessler.com. e-s-l-e-r yes. that's where i'm looking at that's what we're looking at right here where you can see all of his uh, previous works um and including the link to the situational awareness rumble channel and the superorganism six-part docuseries so yes definitely go check all that out guys so um so, okay. So I would, I really want to know kind of your thoughts on this. We've, we've touched on it a few times, but like, you know, in the interest of framing this conversation in a non-sensationalized way, something that people can actively kind of process it, or, or if they're having a discussion with somebody who may be, you know, fully bought into the, uh, the ideology, or maybe to to a friend who has a, a child who's like teetering on the edge or, or has their own child teetering on the edge, what would be your suggestions when framing the conversation with somebody like that?
1: Well, I think, you know, as a parent, you really want to, and, and, and in a way that is not to scare you, because you really do have to keep your cool with this, because the stakes are high. But I think getting to know the detransitioners stories uh, in a pretty detailed way is helpful, because, you know, a lot of these detransitioners, they have mapped out the specific stages that they went through from beginning to end. And they've given a very clear... Um, understanding of which people in which positions of power used what methods of coercion, um, you know, were focused on on, uh, the ideology in what ways. So I think getting familiar with the stories of detransitioners is helpful because it allows you to see Hmm. the systemic ways that this is unfolding. Um, And I think that's really important to understand. Like, how is it that not just the detransitioners, But their parents were coerced into this as well. Loving parents who were not radicalists were coerced into going along with this. So that is definitely one aspect I think that is important for parents to understand. Um, I think if you go to um, the resources section of of daughtersofthewestfilm.com, I have a, a, a whole library of different resources that people can check out. And one of the things this resource section does is it plugs you into, um, support groups and, you know, um, networks of therapists that are willing to give you guidance and resources that are not going to just push the gender affirmative model. Um, you have resources there if you want to fight back legally, there is, um, you know, there's, uh, parent groups who are literally in the middle of their children being at different phases of this. So, like one of the great ones is um, Parents with Inconvenient Truths About Trans. They have a Substack. Okay. And their Substack is all parents anonymously sharing their stories of where they're at with their kids. One of the things they're trying, you know, what, what they're trying to do to help their kid with where they're at, whether they've totally transitioned or whether they're at the beginning. Uh, they're, they're a great resource and a network to connect to if you want to be connecting with parents who are in that struggle actively. Uh, they're awesome. They will share proper resources. So, you know, I encourage people to go and check out that section of the website. And anytime yeah. I find a new resource, I try to add to it. Um, and I think long-term, you know, one of the best things you can do, especially if you your child is not very far along in this is in my opinion, getting to know them much, 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 much more deeply that your best weapon to protect your child is to know them very, very intimately. And it doesn't, like if you, if you don't have that yet, it doesn't mean like you're a bad parent. Like one of the things that's going on is that our modern way of life has normalized being disconnected from our kids, right? They have made it normal to send kids to daycare at earlier and earlier and earlier ages. They've made it normal for moms to go back to work six weeks after birth which is insane. Mm -hmm. So they have normalized disconnect with the children from an early age, which is really what allows you to develop that deep, intimate understanding of who your child is. One of the best ways to understand this is, you know, for those of you who have had kids who are listening, you notice those things where, you know, there were qualities in your child when they were an infant. And then when they grow up, you're like, man, that has always been there. You know, That part of them that was always there, even since they were like breastfeeding, you see qualities of their character that have carried right from birth into adolescence, you know, those parts of them that were always there. This is a huge advantage because to be able to see the parts of your child that have always been there, um, it's very strategic because number one, you can see the parts of them that are firm and unchanging, the parts of them that are very defined. Those are the parts of your child that are not going to be influenced by campaigns like the the gender ideology campaign, okay? But you can, on the flip side, also intimately get to know those parts of your child that are very easily influenced. And to go even deeper, you can see the parts of your child that you know your child doesn't see yet. This is that advantage you have as a parent. You can watch your child grow and develop and you can see there's parts of them that they don't see yet Mm. that need protecting until they're mature enough to see who they are. This is the most powerful form of protection in my opinion. And it relates to this book that, that we're releasing. So I have a book called legacy keepers, protecting your child's heroic journey. And this is the whole focus of the book. It's to give parents a workbook and a series of tools that lets you study your child through the lens of the hero's journey archetype. And by studying your child through the hero's journey archetype, you can get access to what parts of them have always been defined and are firm and there and the world cannot influence and what parts of them are open to influence. And really, when we look at the parts of a child that are open to influence, specifically the parts of that child that are open to influence that the child is not aware of yet, that's innocence. Mm. That is their innocence. Mm. And I think what's beautiful about the work that I'm, I'm really excited to cultivate in families is that we can move past this vague notion of child innocence, you know, childhood innocence as just a sort of loose concept that often actually gets consumed by this sensationalism mm. and the political rhetoric and get down to what is your child's innocence, right? Because Hmm. their innocence is unique to them. So if you want to protect your child's innocence from any of the ongoing campaigns, then you have to get to know them well enough to know what is innocence in your child, what parts of themselves and the world, frankly, do they not know about yet because they are not developed enough yet? That's what you guard for them. That is what you're holding for them because that is their legacy. Their legacy is their hero's journey into realizing the parts of themselves they cannot see until they've had enough life experience. And this book is a direct challenge to one of the common assertions in the gender affirmative model, which is that children know who they are right away. At terribly young ages, they know who they are. And I counter with the fact that they don't. They don't know who they are because they have innocence and their innocence is specifically the parts of themselves that they cannot see because they are not developmentally capable of seeing those parts of themselves. So this is true parenting to me, this is protection. And this is like what I'm really excited to
0: promote with this book. That's amazing. So the book's not quite out yet, is that what you mean? That's right. So we're gonna be,
1: um, we're looking to have the book released in the fall. So hopefully uh, early October, but what's gonna happen is um, for people who sign up to my newsletter, uh, that is basically gonna be where you're gonna get access to pre-sales. So cool. in a couple of weeks, I'm going to launch a pre-sales campaign to get people discounted access to the book. Um, and it's actually, it's not even just a book. So Legacy Keepers is really like a, it's, it's a full business. It's a, it's a toolkit because in, uh, in tandem with the book, I'm going to be offering workshops on how to take the materials that you generate on studying your child through this workbook and turn those into custom rites of passage,
0: mm-hmm. um, you
1: know, ceremonies and challenges yeah. and curricula for your child. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give you such a rich resource. So especially if you're a homeschooling parent, you could be creating curricula that is uniquely tailored to your child because you're going to see what is their hero's journey. What battles are they here to work through, right? Like all humans are born into this world with unique kinds of struggle. And one of the biggest challenges for children is finding the meaning in their particular struggle and not becoming lost and feeling despondent and crushed by the struggles that are unique to their life path and being handed the tools to create meaning in their struggle. And that's what the hero's journey has always been good for, that archetype. Uh, The reason I use it is because uh, I studied the history and creation of ceremony and ritual. So I got certified as what's called a life cycle celebrant through the Life Cycle Celebrant Foundation and Institute. And our work in those studies was to see the basic elements of ritual and ceremony and specifically rites of passage. And what I learned in that course that was so beautiful and mind blowing was that all rites of passage throughout all human history have always relied on the hero's journey structure. And so this is a foundational archetype from bar mitzvahs to confirmations to like a tribe in Africa doing a coming of age ceremony. They all fall back on this archetypal structure, which is why the questionnaire in the book is designed. It's embedded into the hero's journey archetype so that you see your child through those particular stages of the hero's journey. And it gives you this tool to be able to create rites of passages for your child throughout their life. So actually I did one today with my kid. Wow. wow. So, Really awesome. He had his first sleepover. He's at his first Mm, sleepover tonight. Nice. And so I was like, this is a perfect chance because I want to create a rite of passage for him, and I'm actually going to end up putting it in the book as one of the examples that give parents an idea of how do I take this and apply it, you know, to my children. What? How does it go from the page to our family? And so, you know, very simple, very simple. Like the 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 hero's journey structure. You know, this is a three act structure. And, you know, um, rites of passages are always three act structures in the same way. So you have the departure, you have the initiation, and you have the return, the return home. Um, This is something that's so available to us. And the fact that humans have been relying on this archetypal structure throughout all of human history means we're primed for it. So when you use this with children, it lands with them. They feel it because human beings need Rites of passage. And frankly, we need the hero's journey lens. It's why Hollywood films are so impactful. Every successful Hollywood film is relying on the hero's journey structure, all of them, 100% of them, you know? So, my son, you know, he had his first sleepover tonight. So, what we did was I sat down with him and I had him make a checklist of everything that he uses every day from morning till night and when he wakes up again. And he made a checklist and then we went through and said, okay, So what from your day do you want to gather and pack? What do you want to have ready? And, um, you know, it was all the basics, of course, like having a change of clothes and, you know, his friends are thinking of going swimming, so packing his swimming gear. Uh, But also for him, it was about packing the right toys, you know, very intentionally planning which toys he wanted to have with this friend. And it was just such an amazing experience because um, as we were moving through this checklist and I was just like, okay, check your list. Do you have this? Check your list it hit him like it actually caused him to very deeply reflect on what was to come. Mm. And he actually stopped me and had this beautiful, sincere moment where he was like, this is so cool going on my first sleepover. And like, it was the ritual of the checklist, which is really this rite of passage ritual that caused him to have that deep reflection. And he again said it later. And I could tell how rich and emotionally meaningful this was for him. Whereas if I had just packed his bag for him, you know, Mm -hmm. jammed his stuff with what he needed and said, have a good time, kiddo. He would not have had that experience. So now he's on this hero's journey and, you know, I'm looking forward to his return home and to framing it a little bit, giving it a little bit of ritual. Even these mini forms of rites of passage are extremely, extremely meaningful. So it's not just about coming of age and bar mitzvah level events where the whole community's there. We have to see this as a tool to embed into our children's lives. This is the kind of stability that I believe will protect children from things like gender ideology. You know, mm. and I, I think I talked about this last time I was on the show, but oh, yeah. the stages of the gender affirmative um, model, they mimic the exact stages of a rite of passage. Mm. Exactly. So a girl is confused, right? So she's she has the departure. She's pulled away from the normal world. She's confused. She doesn't know who she is. She sees Beyonce and Miley Cyrus saying, this is feminism. This is feminism. You're hypersexual. You're hypersexual. And she says, I don't want to be that. And so she goes to school counselors and therapists says, I don't want to be that, that, that thing they're saying is a woman. I don't want to be that. And they say, Oh, you don't want to be a woman. That means you're a boy inside. Let me help you. And Mm. so she's given a new name, new pronouns. She's led towards the actual modification of her body. So she's given a new body. And then when she comes out with this new body, this new name, new pronouns, she is celebrated by the community online. Everyone's here stunning and brave, stunning and brave. I'm so proud of you. That is the exact structure of a rite of passage. So that was my inspiration to make this. I was like, you know what? This is working on these girls because they don't have a healthy version of that as a container to move through adolescence. And they need it because it's what gives meaning to the struggle. Adolescence is hard, it's ugly and weird. They need a tool to be be able to create meaning out of that struggle. And so that's a big part of why I'm doing this. It's very intentional form of warfare that I'm waging to get more of this into the families, because I believe it will actually act as a protection uh, against these kinds of ideologies.
0: That's just unbelievable. Like just everything you just said, there's just so mind blowing. Like I just, I remember last time we talked, you were talking about you were working on a project involving rites of passage. And I'm like, I wonder what that's all about. And I had on my list to talk to you about. So that's just absolutely incredible. You know, this is just like a real tangible applicable thing that people can take and integrate into their, into their, their homes that yeah. makes huge difference so that's just amazing man i well when the book comes out we'll have you back and we'll we'll dive deeper into it that that's just amazing i'm really really impressed with that and uh those insights like i, I never even thought of it in those terms like it, it seems like yeah in our culture for any sort of adolescent growing up it seems like the only rites of passage are like you know you get your license and then i'm yeah. trying to think back to me you get your license and then the rest of it are just like vices that you get permission to do right you yeah. get to have to say c- you get to buy cigarettes you get to buy alcohol it's like yep. really we're so lacking in anything like tangible that's really any sort of delineation of any sort of progression into becoming a a, a teenager or then an adult right like there's nothing yes. that, that that signifies that besides the fact that you can join the army or or buy some booze you know it's so crazy it's crazy and i think you know one of the things i'm hoping to do with this
1: is evolve our application of rites of passage because really the majority, intentional rites of passage, this is something that religion has carried. You know, that it has has been religion that has utilized intentional rites of passage as, you know, coming of age experiences. And and that has been beautiful and it has served a beautiful purpose. And I, I really encourage families who have religion in the household to use that as a leaping off point, of course. But I think one of the things that religion did that i think we need to evolve past is that it framed the child as an empty vessel into which dogma and tradition needed to be inserted and the child was just seen as a way of getting dogma and tradition to the future and you get it into the child but often it was done at the expense of their individuality it was at the expense of their unique potential and the the parts of themselves that are so unique that need to be nurtured and I think this is part of why, to an extent, you did have a somewhat organic pushback against religion, because I think there were a lot of kids who felt like their individuality got squashed by some of the tribal notions that religion was being used for. This, this tool, this way of looking at it, it to me can uplift the religious approach to rites of passage, because the whole idea is that if you study your child in this way, then you have this resource to make their rite of passage, to inspire their rite of passage, from who they are first. So the foundation is, who is this child? That's your foundation for building the rite of passage. And then the religious traditions and the dogma and the teachings, you bring that in around the structure you created that is unique to your child. And if, I believe if you do it that way, then the spiritual teachings will land more deeply because that authentic child is being acknowledged for who they are. They're going to be much more open to being able to serve their family legacy because their family is honoring them. And so I believe, you know, I believe in working out this tension between the sort of tribal, tribal nature of the family and the realization of the unique sovereign individual. I think we're evolving in a direction where we are going to be able to reconcile those tensions. And I think this is the,
0: you know, one of the key ways of doing that. That's amazing, man. Well, well, congratulations on that. That's really, really cool. Um, I really want to get into is we're kind of winding down here. Um, so we, you shouted out in the film and then also we briefly mentioned it at the end of our last episode, but this is the, uh, the mom army and the dad army. Can you tell us yes. a little bit about that? Absolutely. So
1: mom army and dad army, you know, we're li- really like a boots on the ground operation. So we do of course do lots of digital, uh, media strategies. And i I've been a big part of their digital media approach. Um, but we are a network of, moms and dads and and allies, frankly, there's people working with us that aren't even parents who believe in what we're doing, um, that are fighting to end the war on innocence. Um, That is like one of the core um, parts of the mom army mission and mom army naturally gave rise to dad army. And so dad army, you know, we're very much focused on the war on innocence as well, but also pushing back on the, the war against men and masculinity and, you know, trying to frame fatherhood as something honorable and powerful. Um, and so uh, we are really very successfully lately, especially doing a lot of boots on the ground work, getting bills passed, staging protests, um, you know, uh, raising money for lawsuits, uh, really trying to get the boots on the ground community action going on. Um, so you can follow mom army and dad army and Instagram to see a lot of that work. You know, for example, one of the dads, um, that we have, he's recently had, uh, uh, he's been spearheading a bunch of the victories in the school boards in California, mm. uh, in Temecula, and a bunch of those places. So, you know, a big part of that has been a dad army operation. You can look up uh, SoCal Parent Advocates, I believe it is, on Instagram. Um, and, you know, that's been, you know, he's been one of the, our, our most successful boots on the ground dad army captains. Um, we're really, really working to, to try to create a difference here. There we go, so-called parent advocates. Great great work there. Um, we're all about trying to find that balance between uh, you know, physical presence and, and digital influence. In, in uh, Michael Flynn and Boone Cutler's book, The Citizen's Guide to Fifth Generation Warfare, mm. they talk about the importance of dominating the physical domain. And that means being really present in your community, having in-person relations, in-person in-person work that you're doing to fight back, uh, and the importance of that. And you know, one of the most important things that they frame uh, in this book and articulate is that the reason dominating the physical domain is essential for us winning this war is that the digital domain is so incredibly manipulated. Beyond anything, I think most people understand that there is no comparing being in person with person. Like um, the amount of manipulation that you can be subjected to in your online interactions is just unimaginable. That digital domain is so saturated by different forms of warfare um, and warfare that is designed so that we cannot conceive of it. Whereas when you're in a room with someone you cannot be manipulated on those levels. Mm -hmm. And so we're really about trying to push both things forward, dominating the physical domain, but also really getting, you know, strong in our our digital presence and trying to navigate the minefield that is, (laughs) that is the internet right now. So, you know, I encourage people to check out mom army and dad army and, and give us a follow and line up with our work and see the work that we're doing um, because it's, it's been very important. And Mom Army just had their one-year anniversary. Nice. Um, and uh, really impressive, man. I got to say, just so much has been done. There's been so much success, so many victories, um, but, uh, but lots of work to do. So in Dad Army, we've got a growing group of dads uh, who are essentially victims of gender ideology, who are uh, their sons, have been taken from them by uh, radicalized mothers who are transitioning Mm. their sons without their permission. So a big part of our battle right now is to help these fathers who are trying through legal means and through creating awareness to get their children back. Um, You know, we have uh, a number of them that have really been fighting hard. We have Adam Vina and Harrison Tinsley. You know, these are a couple of dads who have just been in the weeds trying like hell to get to protect their sons and to try to get access to their children. Um, So that's going to be a big focus for us in the upcoming year, Um, you know, especially because even though the major influence of gender ideology has been on girls, uh, it it is, of course, still affecting boys uh, very, very drastically, especially very, very young boys who can be taken Mm -hmm. advantage of and uh, be fed these ideas in a
0: way that can have long-term damage wow 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 well that's all really good stuff um so is there anything else that you want to shout out or or anything else you like calls to action or anything else you'd like to leave the people with here
1: yeah i'd say you know um if you go to daughters of the Westfilm.com, that'll give you a real quick easy way to sign up for my newsletter i have tons of just exclusive deals and content coming in through my newsletter so that's a great way to stay in touch with me so that you know anytime i get nuked or censored or shadow banned Mm -hmm. it's super super helpful That's also where I'll be releasing, um, you'll get first dibs on the, the pre-release of my book. Um, and and also if you purchase daughters of the West from my website, um, from my own video on demand, you'll actually, you'll become a member of my website and that's going to give you inside access to a number of short films I'm going to be dropping on that platform. So, um, membership uh, to the website is technically free so if you go to purchase daughters of the west uh, you have to become a member to make the purchase go through at the same time the short films i'm going to be dropping are going to be free for members and then i'm very soon going to be putting super organism up there and that will be available to rent and to purchase so i'm going to have lots of different bundles and things so i would say you know follow my newsletter uh become a member at daughters of the west film.com and uh, you know, support my work as best as you can. I got tons going on. Follow me on Rumble. My um, new show, situa- Situational Awareness. I actually, uh, in addition to the Rumble version, I actually release the transcript and podcast version of every episode on my mm. Substack as well. And uh, so, if you would rather have it as a as a podcast, follow my Substack. All my situational awareness episodes are there with a transcript and a podcast for you to check out there.
0: Hey, Let me see. So what's, is it the, the simonessler.substack.com? That's you yes. there. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Substack. That's like when I'm talking about like, you know, periphery yeah. projects like Substack has been a real game changer. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's good job. Good job on that. We'll have to do some collaboration on that here for sure. Yes. So, I know we've got to um, do a Substack yeah, collaboration. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, do we that. Definitely. Definitely. So, all right, Simon, man, you uh, really just brought it today. Like that's just some really powerful information. Um let me see um uh let's see I'm just looking through the chat if there's anything yeah man everyone loves everyone's loving it um just thank you so much for coming on today i really appreciate it let's connect again when the book comes out oh yeah totally oh you know I did forget about one thing yeah what's that what's that
1: <laughs> it's really good I, I recently put a shop up on daughters of the westfilm.com okay. uh with a bit of apparel uh i just really pumped about this shirt mainly i made this really awesome retro shirt that just says communism kills oh so, really let me see where's this where's this press uh, shop on. at the bottom oh, of shop, there.
0: shop shop shop, shop. Duh. okay
1: uh yeah so i'm slowly going to be building this out but uh we're rocking this communism kills retro shirt, uh because i literally have communists in my neighborhood spamming my neighborhood wow. putting communist marxist posters everywhere inviting people to become communists so i was like oh it's in my neighborhood i gotta i gotta get some stickers and some shirts Whoa, and so, that's great yeah check it out
0: good job good job all right simon we'll keep up the great work and we'll connect again soon Thanks so much. Cheers. All right. Thank you, man. All right, everybody. Rebunk.news is the website to find everything else. I'll catch you guys next time.
1: Peace.